Welcome to all of you on this Sunday morning. Uh, I want to begin by announcing that next Sunday on the 12th of July, the church building will be open again for worship. The services will continue to be streamed online as normal for those who are not able to attend. And if you want more information uh, about the services, including the risk assessment and details about how we're making the building COVID secure, you can find that on our website. Uh, we would like to know if you are intending to come, so please do let us know, and details about how you can do that again are on our church website. Uh, this week is our final week uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, as well as the final week that we are not able to be open for services, and the book of Ephesians has been a great blessing uh, to us as we've been looking through it during these weeks of lockdown. Uh, but next week, we're going to be starting something new, and Tim is going to be uh, preaching through the book of Judges. Uh, 
And we'd be uh, delighted if you could join us for that, whether that is online or whether that is in person. Well, whether we are meeting physically or online, uh, the Word of God continues to be uh, the focal point of our service. And this morning we're going to be thinking about the Christian life as warfare uh, against the devil and against his schemes. In our Bible reading this morning, we're going to see how Jesus stood in that warfare. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 4, and Zoe is going to read uh, verses 1 to 11 of that chapter. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. This is God's word. Our next song reminds us that although we are in a battle, this battle belongs to the Lord. The victory is his.
As a church, we support various people and organizations that proclaim the gospel, the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. One of those organizations is called Caring for Life, and it's based in Leeds. They share the love of Jesus with at-risk and hurting people, including those who are homeless. They provide long-term support at homes and friendship, gradually helping people to move on uh, from past heartache and hardship towards a happier future. On their website, they've been providing regular updates on how they've been coping with this coronavirus season, and we're going to watch now their latest update. Hello, everybody. It's lovely to be with you once again. I do hope and pray that you're keeping well and encouraged in what you're doing. Um, first of all, I have to just say a huge thank you. Through the 20K for Open Day campaign, we've raised over £18,000 because of your kindness. So thank you so very much. But now we're at that stage where we're looking to the future and we're thinking, at what point can we start opening up our projects here on the farm? And we would ask for your prayers, prayers for wisdom, because we don't want to put anybody at risk here. Uh, prayers for guidance. We, we really want to know when we should open this place up because there are people who desperately need to be back here. This is a lifeline for so many people. So we do need the Lord's wisdom. Um, I would encourage all of you to please, um, on the 11th of July, log on to our website and join us at 11 a.m. Giving Service Supporters Day service. We're hoping it'll be a wonderful time, uh, a great time of fellowship and fun. Of course, we're not going to see you in person and we look forward to that day. It'll be very special. But please come and join us for that day. Um, I just want to leave you with this psalm. It's a wonderful psalm, Psalm 37. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. And that's what we have to do. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. We will wait patiently on the Lord and we will fight up. We will fight for the oppressed and for the needy and for the vulnerable. We will share the love of Jesus that we've been commissioned to do. And I believe we shall see great things done for his glory. I want to thank you again for all of your love. And I want to encourage you all to please uh, log on to our website on the 11th of July and uh, join us for our Supporters Day celebrations. I hope it'll be a great time. Uh, we'd love to see you face to face, but of course we can't do that next year, or maybe you'll visit us before that time. But log on and have a precious time with us in that service. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. We love you very much. Bye-bye. Well, let's pray now for Caring for Life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Caring for Life and for the many people they have helped over many years, and for the way that they have led people to Jesus. We thank you that during this time of lockdown, the work has continued, and people have been cared for well. We do pray that you would provide for the financial needs that Caring for Life have, at a time when they haven't been able to provide customer-facing services on their farm, we pray that their income would continue to be sustained and the work could continue on. We ask that you would give the leaders wisdom about when to reopen again and to be able to do so in a way that meets all the guidelines 
and is a good witness to the world around them. And we pray for the success of the supporters' service on the 11th of July, and it would be a time of encouragement to those who attend. Father, we also want to pray for our church as we begin services next week. We pray that you would help us to worship you wholeheartedly and safely. We pray that you would keep us united as one body, even when we have some members who still feel they cannot attend. And we continue to pray that you would hasten the day when we can worship you again together in one building, with singing and with no social distancing needed. We pray these things for our church, but also for other churches in our land and around our world who are dealing with these same issues. But more than this, we pray this situation would help us to anticipate heaven all the more, where we will find our place in the congregation of your people from all of time, worshipping Jesus, the Saviour who bridged the greatest social distance of all by leaving heaven and coming to earth to pray, pay the price for our sins. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we worship you today wherever we are located. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next song reminds us that while we are in this battle, God is our fortress.
if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at the end of this letter uh, from verses 10 uh, down to verse 24. Uh, Back in May, uh, we celebrated VE Day, where we remembered and gave thanks for the end of the Second World War in Europe. The official date of the German surrender is the 8th of May, because that was when the surrender was actually signed. But the victory was not in doubt for about a year before that, as the Western allies from the West and the Russians from the East began to close in on Germany. However, despite victory not being in any doubt, and despite the fact that most of the German army knew this, they were ordered to continue to fight right until the very last moment. I speak of this because in today's passage uh, in Ephesians, Christians are told that they are at war against an enemy who continues to fight fiercely despite their defeat being in no doubt whatsoever. A couple of weeks ago, when uh, we looked at uh, marriage, I asked you a question, which was, if you were to explain what a relationship with Jesus is like, how would you explain it? And we saw that marriage is a picture that Paul uses to explain the picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. But what about if I was to ask you to explain to someone what is the Christian life like? What is Christian living like? Well, there are lots of illustrations the Bible gives us that we could and would be right to use. We are told that it's like being in a family with God as our Father. We are told uh, by Jesus that it is a life that is satisfying, where he is living water, quenching our thirst. Uh, We are told uh, that it's a life of power, where we have the Holy Spirit given to us, where God is living in us, so we can live for God in power. Now, all of these are true and encouraging examples and illustrations of what the Christian life is like. But this morning, we see another description of the Christian life, one which is perhaps not so comfortable for us. In Ephesians, we have seen our identity in Christ, and we have seen what it means to practically live for Jesus in our day-to-day life. But if we identify with Jesus and we live for Jesus, then we will be in opposition to an enemy who we will see is the devil, who says to the Christian, if you're going to live like that, if you're going to identify with Jesus, this means war. And so as Paul comes to the end of this letter, he issues a call to war, a call uh, to arms for the Christian we see the Christian life described as warfare. It may not be the kind of picture you want of the Christian life. It certainly isn't a picture of comfort. But it is one which we need to be aware of 
so that we can engage with the battle. However, in our current situation with coronavirus, I think we can perhaps understand better than in normal times this concept of an invisible enemy trying to undermine all that we are doing. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely, fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is God's word. The concept of us having an enemy in the devil who is at war with us is not something we often, I think, factor into our Christian thinking. We often think that our, about our identity in Christ, who we are, what he, what he has done for us, and we rightly sing about it every single week at church. We often speak of the call to be holy, how to live a Christian life practically. But we don't often speak or think or sing about this final part of the Christian life, spiritual warfare. Paul factors, that our, factors our enemy into the equation of the Christian life. And he tells us how to respond. And the first instruction he gives us is to stand strong. Notice in the passage that we are never told to win the battle, but are told four times to stand. Satan is not an enemy that we need to defeat, 
because he has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection from the dead. In speaking of Jesus becoming flesh, the writer to the Hebrews says this. Speaking of Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. These words are speaking of the defeat of the devil. He is defeated by Jesus when Jesus became flesh. One writer helpfully describes it like this. The decisive victory has already been won by God in Christ. And the task of believers is not to win, but to stand. That is, to persevere and maintain what has already been won. That is why Paul says we must be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He doesn't say we need to pull ourselves together, but to stand in the victory that God has won for us in Christ. We are strong in the Lord, that is, in who he is, and we are strong in his mighty power, that is, what he can do. So we stand with confidence in the Lord, who has given us all we need to stand. God has not thrown us into this battle unprepared, but rather has provided all that we need. Now, Paul goes on to describe this provision uh, from God as the full armor of God from, uh, in verse 11. We are strong in the Lord and we put on the armor he has provided. And we're going to see what this armor is uh, shortly. But before Paul tells us what this armor is, he tells us what kind of warfare we are in. At the end of verse 11, we are taking our stand against the devil's schemes. So the word schemes there means cunning arts, uh, deceit, or trickery. The devil and his hordes have had thousands of years of practice of turning people away from God. The devil's schemes can include a number of things. It can include uh, directly attacking Christians with temptations to sin or to abandon God when we are in trials. His schemes can include accusing us of wrongdoing in in a way that makes us think that we're not Christians. In one of our hymns, we we sing how Satan tempts us to despair as he tells us of the guilt that's within That's one of his schemes, to to make us despair of ourselves and think we're not even Christians. Or his schemes can include influencing the world around us, so that the world around us is seductive, or can lead us into apathy, where we don't care about the things of God really at all. And we have to take our stand against these things, because verse 12 tells us that this is a spiritual warfare. It's spiritual. Notice that it's not a a battle in the sense that we are fighting a physical enemy, but verse 12 tells us 
that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So it's not ultimately against what we can, we can see or against individual people, but we read it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now we've seen this phrase, heavenly realms, a few times in Ephesians, and we are reminded here of a realm or a dimension that we cannot see, but is just as real as the material world which we inhabit. And that heavenly realm, that other dimension, influences the realm where we live. That's where this battle is going on. It's a spiritual warfare. It's not necessarily something we can see. And the warfare has an enemy in the devil who is described in these verses. We see that he is powerful. So he has power over a kingdom of darkness which he rules. I take the meaning here of rulers, authorities, and powers, all referring to the realm that Satan is given power over. We see that not only is he powerful, but he is wicked. So we see here forces described as of evil. And we see that our enemy is described as cunning. And we see that because of the word schemes. So we are facing uh, a, a warfare against a powerful, wicked, and cunning enemy in the devil who wants to turn us away from God, and he's fighting uh, against us as God's people. Now this might all sound scary, and that isn't necessarily, by the way, a bad thing if it makes us more aware of our enemy. But I think as a general rule, we need a balance that we perhaps don't often reach. On the one hand, we don't want to underestimate the devil and forget that we have an enemy because he is powerful and wicked and cunning. But on the other hand, we don't need to be scared of him or we don't need to attribute everything that goes wrong in our life to the devil. We need a balance, not underestimating him, but not being scared of him and overestimating him. Rather, we need to do what Paul tells us to in verse 13. Therefore, or because of this, this is what you should do. Put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. The day of evil could be taken as every day, because the enemy does not stop scheming and he doesn't take a day off. However, some days or seasons are more intense or feel more evil, if you like, than others. Often we can come under attack for a specific reason, like when we step out for God in some special way. Other times, there is no rhyme or reason for the intensity. However, this verse means because the enemy will continue to attack, the Christian is to continue to stand. And to enable us to stand, we have been given this armor of God. The armor here is not actions that we are supposed to be doing, but rather they are applying the gospel to our life. And it is the, it is the gospel, the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
And all of that, that that means, that enables us to stand. So we have this image, this, this picture of a Roman soldier. Roman soldier because that was the period in which Paul was writing. And on this Roman soldier, we see six pieces of armor. Now we're going to look at each one of them individually, and time doesn't allow us to go uh, into detail on all of these pieces of armor. But we'll look at each one in order as Paul describes. So first of all, we read, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Uh, Roman soldiers wore robes. There were no trousers in those days. And when they were relaxing, the robe would hang down, which meant that they couldn't run very well. Now, I've never tried it, but I understand it's not easy to run in a long dress. So they would have had a belt that they would have that would bring, they would bring the robes up and tuck the robes into their belt, which freed their legs and enabled them to move freely and quickly. Having the belt on meant they were ready for battle. And the belt here is described as the belt of truth. And the truth here is the truth about who God is what, and what God has done, or knowing God and knowing what God says. We can't fight for God if we don't know God. This battle is for, for Christians to engage in, and so we can only fight the devil if we know God and we know what it is to live for God. So we need to know the truth and to keep getting, on, getting to know it more and more if we're going to have this uh, readiness to fight with our robes tucked in and ready to go. It's about knowing the truth. Secondly, we put on the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, a breastplate covered the vital internal organs of heart and lungs. Although these organs are unseen, they are vital to life and they need protecting. Righteousness here means being right with God and living right for God. Uh, when we fight the battle of the Christian life, there are two attacks that this breastplate defends us against. The first attack is to, to do with being right with God. So even though we're right with God, Christians still do things wrong. We still sin. And we can be attacked by feeling that we're not good enough. We feel like God doesn't want us anymore. But the breastplate tells us that God has forgiven us and so that we are made righteous in his sight. There is nothing we can do to change our standing with God. And that's brilliant news. God loves me, has made me righteous regardless of what I do. We can be certain that we are God's children. We are right with God. But the other attack that we face is a bit different. We can feel like this. I'm forgiven anyway. So it doesn't matter what I do. But when God forgives us, he changes us, and he gives us the Holy Spirit who is making us more like Jesus. So we no longer have to sin. We don't want to sin. We want to say no to sin. And so we want to live right for God. And so the breastplate of righteousness reminds us, I am right with God, Regardless of what I do, 
but I have the power to live right for God, and now I will. Thirdly, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier would wear, a, wear special shoes. It was a leather sandal that would have metal studs underneath, a bit like a football boot. And this stopped them slipping and sliding in the mud. But it also protected their feet from having wood and stone or nail uh, stuck in them as they walked along. It meant that they could keep on moving and were always ready to go. But in terms of standing, I think that the studded shoe enabled the soldier not to slip. And that's important, I think. Because there are many trials and temptations that can cause us to slip and fall down when we come under attack. But the gospel gives us a peace that protects us even in those trials and temptations. Now, there are two ways which the gospel gives us peace. There is peace with God, and there is peace from God. Peace with God means that we are no longer at war with him. We are in a right relationship with God. Because of this peace, we are ready for the battle, and we can stand because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, helping us to fight. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us is by giving us the peace of God. The peace of God is where we know that we can trust God because we know that his word is true. And in his word, there are promises for us that he is in control, that he is working all things out for the good of his people. And because of these promises, we don't need to panic, but we can keep standing and stand firm and not slip. So when suffering comes, we can keep trusting God because we have peace from him. Uh, fourthly, look at verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman soldiers had big shields that were, in fact, uh, could be the size of a door. And they would be covered in leather and soaked in water. And this would stop arrows hitting and piercing any weak spots that aren't covered uh, by the other pieces of armor, such as the face and the neck and the legs and the arms. And they were soaked in water so that when the flaming arrows came, the arrows would be extinguished the fire would be extinguished, rather, by the water. Now, faith, it's a shield of faith. Faith is where we trust God and what the Bible teaches about him. We believe that he is good, that his word is true. The Bible teaches us that God is all-powerful, that God is holy, that God loves us, that God is everywhere, that God knows all things and is in control of all things. We believe that is true, but also we believe in the promises that God has given us, that those who have faith in Jesus will have eternal life. And we have a Father who is always working for our good. And as we recall who he is, and we recall his promises, and we believe and we trust in them, 
those fiery arrows from the enemy, those trials and temptations will be extinguished. Fifthly, we take the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet protects, obviously, the head. And so I would say this is about how we think as Christians. Because it's the helmet of salvation, we need to remember the salvation we have in Christ. We are to look back at the cross and resurrection and remember the certainty of our salvation, that Jesus has done all that is necessary to save us and all that is necessary to defeat our enemy. But also, we need to think about our future and the salvation that's in store for us there, that Jesus is returning and all will be made right. Right thinking about our salvation helps us to stand firm in the present. And finally, Paul speaks of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword is defined as the Word of God, which we can say is the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. This helps us to stand by holding the enemy back. The best example of this is in the temptation of Jesus, where he held Satan back by using Scripture as his defense. So wielding this sword means reading, memorizing, and meditating on the Scripture so that we know it better and can call on it when attacks come. All of this armor enables us to take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now there's a lot there uh, for us to think about. And maybe uh, this week you can take some time to read through the armor and how you can put on the full armor of God. But if you remember one thing, I would say remember this. The pieces of armor all relate to what God has already done in Christ. So stand strong in the victory that is yours. Well, the armor enables us to stand, but there is another aspect of spiritual warfare that Paul brings to our attention in this passage. If verses 10 to 17 command us to stand strong, verses 18 to 20 call us to watch and pray. Notice in verse 18 the call to be alert and keep on praying. Be alert is the same word in the Greek as the word watch, which Jesus used when his disciples fell asleep when he was fighting Satan in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul tells us at the beginning uh, of verse 18 to, to, to be, a, be alert, or at the end of verse 18, to be alert and always keep on praying. And it's the same thing as Jesus says in Matthew 26. But at the beginning of verse 18, Paul tells us, and, so linked to what's just been said, pray in the Spirit so we stand 
strong with the armor. But as we are standing, we are praying. Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit. This is not a special kind of prayer, but it's simply prayer led by the Spirit of God. I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, it follows the sword of the Spirit because the Word of God and prayer go together. So as we read our scriptures, it leads and directs our prayers. And we see some lessons on, on praying here. Prayer is to be varied. It's on all occasions. So it's not just in emergencies. All kinds of prayers and requests. So this means times of confession, times of praise, uh, times where we are asking God for things that we need and things that other people need. And prayer is to be continual. Paul tells us to, to keep on praying. This doesn't mean that we can't do anything but pray, but rather being alert is having a continual awareness of God's presence and power, having a continual dialogue with him. I would say that prayer needs to be both planned uh, and spontaneous. So it needs to be planned, which means planned on our own, but also planned in terms of coming to the planned church prayer meetings when they start up again. But we see the importance of prayer here in terms of staying alert. Watching or being alert gives the impression of a sentry at standing guard and watching closely. But if that sentry or that soldier is off duty, he's not on sentry duty, if he's at war, he doesn't drop his guard completely when he's not being the sentry. So I think we could look at prayer like this in a similar way. We need times where we have planned prayer. So if you like, we're on sentry duty. But at the same time, we need to always be aware that we are at war. And so continually watch. Continually be aware of the, the presence of God with us. Prayer is how we stay alert because we are seeking the God who leads us into battle. The God who gives us the armor and who ultimately has given us the victory. In verses 19 to 20, Paul gives something specific to be praying for him and for all Christians, in fact. Notice what he asks for. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I, as I should. Paul is in prison, but he does not ask the church to pray for his release from prison. Isn't that interesting? He rather asks them to pray for his witness for the gospel while he is in chains. He would have been chained to guards who would have had the opportunity to hear the gospel from him. And so as he's chained to these guards and he's sharing the gospel, he has two requests. First of all, he prays for clarity. We see clarity when he says, pray that words may be given me and I may make known the mystery of the gospel. So he prays for clarity and he wants prayer for boldness. We see boldness when he, he asks to speak fearlessly. 
Now, we may not be chained to a Roman soldier, but we all have contacts with many unbelievers. And can't our proclamation of the gospel be hindered by either a lack of clarity and or a lack of boldness? So let's pray for one another that we would also, like Paul, clearly and boldly speak of Jesus as we should. Perhaps you can be thinking about who you can share the gospel with in the week ahead. I think this also encourages us to pray for our missionaries too. Perhaps this week you could go through the prayer diary to remember those missions, go on their websites and get their latest updates and pray in the light of the information you have that they would clearly and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it's good to be praying for one another as we engage in this spiritual battle together. But it's also good to update each other on how the battle is going. As Paul closes his letter, we see how we can send dispatches from the front. Paul does not engage in spiritual warfare alone. He has brothers and sisters fighting alongside him. One of these brothers is Tychicus, who was the one, it seemed, who delivered this letter to the church in Ephesus. He came not only to deliver this letter, but also to let the church know how he was and what he was doing. This was to be an encouragement for the church. And I think it is a reminder to us that as we all engage in this warfare as followers of Jesus, we need to be sharing with one another how we are doing. This encourages, uh, encourages one another and helps one another to pray for one another. Uh, I think we need to be sharing both good things and those areas where we are struggling too. You may think that sharing struggles is a discouragement, but they encourage both to pray and for others to serve you. Also, we sometimes think that we are the only ones who are struggling. But when someone else shares, we can remember that it's not just me. We should report on what we are learning about Jesus, how God is at work in our lives, and how we are encouraged and how we are discouraged. This is especially relevant at this time when we can't all meet together physically. Continue to phone each other and pray together, even over the phone. Share highlights and lowlights and bring encouragement to each other to stand strong and be alert during these times. Paul concludes this letter with some words which sum up well what this letter has been all about. It was customary to end a letter with a wish for the people being written to. Paul stated at the beginning that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He spent the first half of the letter outlining those blessings and the second half how we are to live in the light of them. Now he summarizes these blessings as his wish for his readers. We see the blessing of peace, which is what we have received from God and now have with each other. 
And again, we've seen that through this letter. We see that he wishes for the blessing of love with faith from God. We have read in this letter of the great love which God has for us and which we respond to with faith in him. And we see the blessing of grace. We are saved, we've read this, saved by grace. And we respond to him and to one another with love, which he describes here as undying. That is, the the Christian is one whose love for Jesus and for the saints will be forever. As we have read this letter, I think truly we can say with Paul, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, our final song sums up well what we have been hearing this morning. Let us close together and sing, O Church, Arise.
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Amen.